We invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. And at this time, kids that are participating in Treehouse and Children's Worship are invited to, to be dismissed and to gather in the foyer. But as we turn in God's Word to the book of Ephesians, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 today and reminded of who we are as God's people, saved by His grace and covered by His blood, part of His body, part of the body of Jesus Christ, given a new identity in Him that defines us, that leads us to exalt His name, to find comfort in His presence among His people, and to proclaim the riches of His grace. I want to begin, before we look at our text in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to begin by telling you a secret, uh, a secret that um, I think is conveyed here in the text. In fact, it's not... Uh, a secret uh, that uh, is is the kind of secret that we perhaps normally think of. The reason I'm going to tell it is that it's not really a secret at all, not in the way that we think of secrets. It's something that was formerly hidden, that's now been disclosed and is meant to be declared. It's meant to be shared with others. It's an open secret. You see, it's not like the the secret knowledge that was only available to insiders of the various mystery cults that were popular in Ephesus in Paul's day. See, those those cults were uh, elite groups with esoteric language and knowledge that was kept hidden from outsiders, sort of like spiritual fraternities or private social clubs. But Paul contrasts the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel with those exclusive cults in order to highlight the inclusivity of Christ's church. This mystery that's been made known. This open secret is that you, friends, yes, you are part of his beloved church part of the body of Jesus Christ, part of the the bride of Christ, His chosen and precious people, this body of Jesus Christ. It's that every outsider can be an insider. That the deep truths of God can be known by all. That the gospel of grace is for all, even for me and even for you. You see, the open secret is the beauty and breadth of Christ's church. That's what Paul is going to be communicating in our text this morning. The Spirit through Paul is what I want us to hear today. The open secret, the mystery made known, is the beauty and the breadth of Christ's church. The open secret. And it's broad. The church is broad, encompassing both Jews and Gentiles, formerly separated, divided people. And that it's beautiful, declaring God's character and mission to the far reaches of the world, the far reaches of creation. And so this morning, join me in hearing how Paul describes this community. This close-knit community, this people that we hang out with Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Let's hear what... He says, Ephesians chapter 3, let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of the word. Paul writes, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly 
In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Would you pause with me in prayer? No, God, we pray that you would guide us now. Guide us now by your spirit through the preaching of your word. Would instruct us, teach us, correct us, shape us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Now, I think Paul understood stewardship. Because he's describing here a sacred trust given to him by God. And this trust is, in his own words, the administration of God's grace. It's it's the sharing of God's plan with the world, his plan that's now been accomplished, it's now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that plan is a broad and beautiful church comprised of Jews and Gentiles reconciled to God and one another. Something that ought to be evidenced in every gathering of believers near and far in Birmingham and across our state and around the world. People formerly divided and different coming together under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning about Christ-centered missions because even though, and here's why, even though Paul doesn't quote the Great Commission here, right? There's, there's no great commission from Paul. Paul is telling his story. He's telling the story of his own life. He's telling his story in order to encourage the church to praise Jesus, to love his bride, and to join the mission. In Ephesians chapter 3, in the words of one friend and scholar, Doug Webster, Paul turned emphatically personal. You can hear the personal tone of what Paul is writing here. He begins to recount his prayer for his people and then he sort of gets sidetracked and talks about the trust that's been given to him. Paul turned emphatically personal, not because he had something to get off his chest or because he wanted to commend himself, but because he wanted to lead by example. What he sought to do was compel them by his infectious joy, his profound gratitude and his sense of great honor. 
was truly grateful for the responsibility of administering the gospel of grace. So Paul's telling his story here. He's describing his position, and notice how he describes himself. He says that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles and a servant of this gospel, less than the least of all the Lord's people, he says. He's describing his position, and he's stating his mission, verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. But notice that it's not about Paul. Paul's not trying to make a name for himself. He's not the primary character here. He's not the primary character in any of his letters. He's a pioneer missionary and one of Christ's apostles playing a unique and particular role in salvation history to show the world God's grace. But it's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. You see, Christ-centered missions is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's about the Son of God and Savior of the world. It's about Jesus. And I don't really want to talk a lot about football uh, today. Probably most of us don't. Most of our uh, teams uh, did not fare too well in the end yesterday, uh, with the exception of maybe David Vaughn. How about that? That doesn't happen very often, does it? Tennessee pulled up victory. But, you, but do you ever like listening to, to post-game interviews? I don't do it very often, but but it's interesting sometimes. Oh. There's Doug Call. I forgot. Get another Tennessee fan. I'm sorry. I didn't want to pick on you, Doug. I had to pick on David. You ever listen to post-game interviews, though? It's, it's interesting to hear what people say. Are the star players and the coaches, what are they going to say? Are, are they, is the focus going to be on their individual performance or the collective strength and unity of the team? Right, where's their focus? I mean, consider Paul here in this Letter in this text in Ephesians chapter three, Paul, a first century world traveler. This is a guy who's who's becoming quite well known, preaching Jesus and planting churches. Now he's a prisoner. He's writing to instruct and correct and encourage Christians discouraged by opposition and tempted to compromise. He doesn't say to these folks, he doesn't say, Come on, guys. What's the deal? Get it together. Look at my life. No, Paul says, run to Jesus. Run after Jesus. Rest in Christ. You can talk to Christ. God wants to hear from you. He says as much in verse 12. He says, in him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is good news. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. In other words, Paul says, don't get down. Don't be discouraged on my account. My sufferings going to be short-lived. And besides, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about His gracious plans for you. It's about His love for you. Be encouraged by God's good plans for you. His plans to bring you in to the family. See, Christ-centered missions is about Jesus. And secondly, Christ-centered missions announces God's plan for the nations. Announces God's plan for the nations. We talked a little bit about nations last week and this idea of Jews and Gentiles be being brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ, a new humanity that's created out of the two that were formerly separate and distinct and at odds with one another. Gentiles, the nations. It's about Jesus and it's for the nations. Paul wants his readers to know that the stewardship of the gospel was given to him for them. In other words, Paul says, I'm doing what I'm doing for you because God has graciously privileged me with telling you 
that he loves you. That he cares deeply for you. That he has paid your sin debt in Jesus. And that he welcomes you into his forever family. God wants you. That's what he's saying here. Paul's saying God's mystery. His mystery, a.k.a. God's surprising plans, have been told to me so I could share them with you. Here's the mystery you're in. Your debt's been forgiven. Here's your new ID and key card. You're in. You're a part of these people. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Here the emphasis on together. Together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The open secret is the beauty and breadth of Christ's church because the church is not only comprised of Abraham's descendants, the Jewish folk, but also the Gentiles, meaning every nation of God's world. The open secret is that we're invited, we're included, we're part of this one new humanity. Friends, did you know that we are the nations? We are the nations. Oftentimes we we think of the nations as those folks over there. We Perhaps we think of China or Vietnam or Ethiopia. All of these, certainly, they're the nations. But we are the nations. We once were the far reaches. We, We are the Gentiles. And what Paul's saying to the Ephesians should have the same impact on us as if we're hearing alongside them, God loves you. God's chosen you. He wants you to know His rich mercy and to enjoy His rescuing love. Love, friend, do you know His love? Do you know God's love for you? God's deep, deep and abiding love for for you. As Paul penned Ephesians 3, he was celebrating God's love for you. Celebrating God's love for, for us and doing so in a way that props the door open for every unbeliever to come on in and join the fellowship. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 1. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, on the basis of Christ's completed work, we're right with God and with one another. And John is saying the reason that we're sharing this, Paul is implying the reason I'm sharing this is because we want you to be part of it. Don't you want to be a part of this? An open invitation to experience God's love and belong to his people. All because of God's Amazing grace. Christ-centered missions celebrates God's grace. It's about Jesus. It announces God's plan for the nations. And it's all about His grace. It celebrates His grace. You see, not only are we saved by grace, Paul was quite clear in conveying that in chapter 2, really chapters 1 and 2, building up to this point that it's not by works. It's not something that we could earn or deserve. Freely given as a gift of God's grace. But not only are we saved by grace... It's a gift of God, not only is salvation by grace, but Paul says of his own life, verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. In other words, he says, my ministry is a gift of God's grace. Not only is my life, my salvation, but my ministry itself is a gift of God's grace. And then he tells them that he's privileged to tell them about Jesus. 
That is ministry to them and everyone else is a gift of God's grace. In other words, Paul's entire missionary endeavor and ministry practice only exists because of and by God's grace. He's spiritually alive and reconciled to God because of grace. And now he's sharing the news of God's reconciling grace, motivated by God's grace with deep personal gratitude and clear gospel proclamation. In other words, he's saying, he's saying to them, the reason I'm a minister, the reason I'm a servant of the gospel, the reason I'm a preacher is because of God's good grace upon me. And the message I preach is, you guessed it, God's grace. It's all about his grace. I can just picture Paul there, a prisoner, chained, smiling. Just picture them. Picture him there in chains, smiling and giving God thanks in the midst of persecution and hardship. I can't. I think we're meant to. I think we're meant to pick up on and be moved by his infectious joy. Here's a man with great joy. He's not bitter. He's not disappointed. He's not coercive. You see, for Paul, sharing about Jesus is not a burden. It's a joy. It's not a duty, but an honor. It's not a heavy weight pressing down on a guilty church, but it's the overflow of a saved church, which leads us to our final mark of Christ-centered missions for today. Christ-centered missions flows from the church. Flows from the church. It happens in and among and through God's people. This is key. This is central. See, missions is not a lone ranger endeavor. It's not an individual undertaking. One missionary can no more win the nations than one football player can win the football game. Every believer is meant and is a living testimony of God's grace. But you know what the greatest testimony is? According to the word, what's the greatest testimony of God's grace? It is the church. It is the bride and body of Jesus Christ. The community of Christ's followers, formerly separated, but now inseparably integrated, bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Paul says about God's plans for the church. Verse 10, God's intent, God's intent was that now, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Let that sink in for just a moment. In other words, God planned for the church, the church, to display his manifold wisdom, meaning his his multifaceted, rich character, who he is. The mystery and magnitude of who God is. Yes, to the world, certainly, but not just to the world, to the angels in heaven and the demons below, to be living proof of God's greatness and God's grace. What a privilege. What an honor to be part of something so big, to be, in the words of one preacher, part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to spiritual rulers and authorities. Words of Kent Hughes, Kent Hughes, we have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. And according to another, and the point is that God is revealing his plan to the powers through the existence of the church. 
I don't know what you thought about the storms that came through quite slowly on Wednesday night. They were settling in about the time church was over here, and I walked outside, as many of you did, and suddenly was a bit overwhelmed by the lightning show. I mean, that was some serious lightning. It's one of those moments where you step out and you're like, I I think I might get struck by lightning. It will not stop lightning. And it kept going on for quite a while. Something that leads us to awe. To acknowledge that there is must be one, that there is one who is over all, who is mighty and magnificent and majestic. And, and the only suitable and right approach and response is simply to bow before him and to acknowledge that we are not in control, that there is another who is. Some things are meant in life to awe us. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, I think Paul is saying that the church, the church is meant to awe. It is one of those things that in God's plan and design is meant to to awe the world. Not just the world, but the, the spiritual beings in the heavenly realm. Leslie Newbigin writes, he says, It's the visible embodiment of God's community that lives by His story, by the story of the gospel. The unity, joy, and love possessed by by Jesus people and shown in his church, friends, is meant to awe. It's meant to lead the world to take notice. It's meant to draw the watching world, yes, even the angels above, to the goodness of our sovereign Savior. And we're a part of it. Friends, the open secret is the beauty and breadth of Christ's church. And friends, you're part of it if you know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know this suffering servant? Do you know this one who, according to Ephesians, brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth? The one raised from the dead and seated in heaven, the one who is our peace. He is our peace. The chief cornerstone, the one who fulfills God's eternal purpose by reconciling sinners to God through the cross of Jesus Christ and recreates one new humanity, one new people co- committed to Christ and to each other. Do you know him? Do you know the Savior of sinners, the King of all kings, and the head of the church? You see, more than anything else, I'm inviting you to get to know him. Let's get to know him. Let's get to know God by looking to Jesus Christ. Let's behold God's gracious character revealed in Jesus. Let's be a people who who look to Jesus and get to know God. For He is the fullness of God in human flesh. Let's behold God's gracious character revealed in Jesus. More than anything else, the clarion call of God's Spirit is come to Jesus. Come to Him. Come to Him and find forgiveness and rest. See Jesus. Come to Jesus and see the very heart of God. See His heart for you. That's the mystery of Christ, that God wants you. That He wants you to know Him, to enjoy Him, to be in right relationship with Him, to find freedom from guilt and to experience joy in Him forever and ever. So how do we, how do we do this? Perhaps you want to be in awe of God and you don't know how to get there. 
Three words, I think. Time with Jesus. Time with Him. Time in in the Word. God's Word. Time crying out to Him in prayer. Time hearing His Word shared, proclaimed, and taught. Friend, behold God's gracious character revealed in Jesus. And secondly, love God's redeemed people called the church. Love them. Love one another. Jesus said by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love God's redeemed people called the church. See, hearing this Ephesians text should stir us to love fellow sinners saved by God's grace and grafted into Christ's beautiful bride called the church. So, Meadowbrook, may God give us a deep and unbreakable bond with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll be honest with you this morning as, as your pastor. I needed this this past week. I needed to be reminded of this. I sense the Lord affirming that in my own life and heart as I spent time with people in the local church. As I visited a family facing hardship in the hospital, as I visited with one of our senior adult couples in their home, as I met with one of our church members seeking some, some guidance, as, we, as I talked with a fellow staff member about how we understand the Lord's leading and direction, I was reminded through all of that that God has called me to be part of a people, to love a people, to grow with a people, to lean on a people. To have a bond of unity together that is not found, that cannot be found anywhere else in the world but among God's people. Let's be a people who love God's redeemed people called the church. How do we love God's redeemed called the church? Four words, time with one another. Time with Jesus and time with one another. The open secret is the beauty and breadth of Christ's church. Which by God's stirring, and it must be His stirring, by God's stirring, should lead us, should lead us to behold His gracious character revealed in Christ because He loves me, to love God's redeemed people called the church because He loves you, and to join Christ's global mission to reach the nations because He loves them. It is His mission, not ours. So may we join him. May we join one another testifying to the world around and the angels above of God's marvelous love. So how do we do this? How do we join Christ's global mission to reach the nations? Certainly there are a number of tangible ways that we may participate in this. We certainly do as we support Mission trips, missionaries, evangelism efforts as we give to the church, as we share with others, as we give even specifically to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we'll be kicking off in a few weeks. These are tangible ways that we do this. But let me just say in conclusion, we will will never do this well We'll probably never even do it from the right motivation if we don't first and simultaneously do one and two. See 
Jesus, receive God's love in Jesus and walk with his people in love. See Christ, love Christ's people, and may the overflow of Christ's love for us and our love for one another lead us to make much of Jesus in our community, across this nation, and across the world for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, and our God. And so, God, would you help us to do that? But not, not because... Not because there is some heavy burden or responsibility or task that we must do to earn your favor. But Lord, because you have shown us your favor in Christ. And you have privileged us with the responsibility and the opportunity and the privilege of of being part of your people. Lord, of knowing your rescuing love of resting in your matchless grace. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus, for coming to us to to save us, to spare us, to rescue us, to, to bring us from death to life. Father, for grafting us in to a new humanity, a new people, your bride and body. A people characterized by knowledge of you and love for one another. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your bride. And Father, we pray that we would indeed continue to walk. And Lord, where we're not walking in ways as a faith family, Lord, that that are reflective of the gospel, Lord, would your spirit lead us? Would you guide us? Would you draw us close to Christ again and again and again and close to this new people of whom we're privileged to be a part? Father, we thank you for this family. And God, we pray that your your spirit would guide us out of the overflow of knowing you and being part of your people, Lord, to go to the nations, to declare the riches of your grace. Father, to be salt and to be light. Lord, to make known the manifold wisdom of God to all who will see. Lord, use us, fill us, guide us, shape us, be glorified in us here and now today. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.